Hallelujah. Shall we all open our Bibles this morning? Hallelujah. And to turn to the book of Leviticus. I'm reading from chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. In fact, actually, I'm going to read two verses before that. Chapter 9, verses 23 onwards. Leviticus chapter 9, 23 onwards. I will read it. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elsaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics, out of the camp as Moses had said. Verse 6. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die. And wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning with which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your majestic presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for saving us and making us your children. This morning as we think and meditate on your majesty, we pray that we will experience your presence among us, Lord. We want to offer you the sacrifices of praise which will please you, Lord. We pray that each and every one of us will be blessed this morning. 
that your name and your name alone will be lifted, Lord. No human flesh will be glorified. Hide me behind the cross. Let you alone be lifted, Lord. Bless your people in the name of Jesus, we pray. Please be seated. What we read this morning is a very difficult passage to digest. I want to greet all of you in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ, those who are here present in the sanctuary and those of you who are watching us remotely. And those of you who are here for the very first time, we welcome you. It's a very difficult passage in the sense that these are one of the few places in the scripture where instant judgment was executed by God. And it's very hard to reason with this reading as to what it really is all about. The other few instances include Korah and his company when they rebelled against Moses and his leadership. Uzzah being slain when he very benign uh, appearing way touched the Ark of the Covenant. When Belshazzar the king of Babylon was instantly killed when he played with the holy instruments of God. When you read these, it might appear that the Old Testament God was a brutal and a harsh and a rash God, a bad demonic deity with a blazing wrath. And compared to that, it appears that the New Testament God is a much mellow and loving and tolerant God. In fact, there is one instance where a similar instance happened in the New Testament also. We all know that. The incidence of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Actually, my desire today is not to talk on the strange fire, even though I might touch on it maybe towards the end of the message. But I would like to talk today about the holy God who was and is and is to come, who is just and righteous, merciful and gracious. How many of you have heard of Nadab and Abihu before today? Few I know, few have, but not the majority. Because this is not a portion that we usually pay attention to. This is an incident that happened after the Israelites have left Egypt and sometime after the law was given, 
the tabernacle was erected nadab and abihu were priests in fact they were the two elder sons of the high priest aaron the brother of moses aaron was someone with a very close relationship to god just like moses was and one simple transgression and the sons of the high priest were slain just like that these lines are etched in the pages of the holy scriptures not for nothing but that we might learn a lesson that we must take our god seriously nadab and abihu they did not profane the altar they did not offer a wrong sacrifice they did not worship idols and they did not bring an idol to the tabernacle and in fact we don't even know the details of what these two young people did but we know that the fire that they brought for the sacrifice was an unapproved unauthorized fire and a fire that was not approved by god it was not done as prescribed by god their redeemer they were definitely careless and possibly irreverential but the death penalty for that instant judgment no jury no trial no appeal no probation nothing instant boom these people all these young guys wanted to try something something that was new and that was not prescribed by the law they probably made fire by some new technique which they devised and they wanted to bring it to worship like some do it today they wanted to happen what would happen if they mixed the ordinary with the holy if they mixed the unholy with the divine some interpret this as it was an accident like children playing with fire but it was no accident and when you know nadab and abihu you will also conclude that it was no accident they were no children they were young guys nadab abihu eliazar and ithamar they were the four sons of aaron exodus 6:23 is the very first time these people are mentioned and in exodus 28 we read about cho- choosing aaron and his four sons for the priestly services in the tabernacle and nadab and abihu 
were even special from among the four sons. The first two were chosen in Exodus 24. If you have the Bibles, you can turn there. They were given special privileges at the foothills of Mount Sinai before the law was given. When Moses was asked to come up and meet God on the mountaintop, these were two people who were asked to come with Moses. I'm going to read that. Now God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Then Moses went up, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Then it is written, they, so they saw God. It's written in the Bible. These are two people who were given among the more than 600,000 men that left Egypt special privileges of seeing God closely. They were chosen for special privileges of coming up close to God. And it says they saw God. And they were no ordinary people. They were no children. And it was no accident. When God has revealed himself to them, he has great plans for them. If God has given you a special revelation about your life, and if God has given you special privileges, remember, God has special purpose about what he has done for you. These two youngsters, they witnessed the miracles of God in the land of Egypt. The deliverance of the Israelites by the mighty hand of God they have seen. The parting and the crossing of the Red Sea they have witnessed and they were part of it. The providence of God while journeying through the desert, they were part of it. They saw the power and the majesty of the, of the Lord upon the mountain of Mount of Sinai. And they were witnesses to the, to the delivering of the commandments and the laws to Moses. They were given the unique opportunity of actually seeing God himself to the degree any human eye could see. Then they were chosen as the priests for Israel. Oh, what a privileged people were these two guys. And they go further. Do you know when the people made a golden calf and worshipped, Nadab and Abihu were among those 
who pulled their swords and slaughtered 300 of their own people Exodus 32 they were no ordinary people they were on the fire for god they were given special assignments and special tasks how to put fire on the altar if you read from the first chapter of leviticus through the ninth chapter you will see that they were given training as to how all these things are done how to put fire on the altar how to do the grain offering peace offering sin offering then why did god deal with these two young people so severely and so instantly the altar of incense was declared by god as most holy and nadab and abihu were acting in clear defiance of god when they brought strange fire something silly but blatant rebellion and the fire that came out and consumed them is the same fire that's why i read the last two verses of chapter 29 it says that in chapter 29 that the sacrifice was burned by the fire that came out from god and the same is repeated in chapter 10 when it says that the fire came out from god and consumed these two young people the same fire brothers and sisters the god of the universe has given us access to his holy presence but he demands reverence you don't take him casually you don't take him for granted you must come to him with love respect reverence and holy fear this is applicable to us in the new testament as it was applicable in the old testament days after they were slain God's explanation to Moses was very clear by those who come near me I must be regarded holy and before all the people I must be glorified those of us who are given the special privilege of ministering in any capacity we must take it seriously and I am not talking about preachers only yes definitely preachers are included preachers are especially accountable but every service you do in the name of god ask yourself who are you trying to please by whatever you are doing what is the ultimate purpose of whatever you are doing do you honor god by your service is your ulterior purpose ulterior motive pleasing god or are you doing it because you know you can do it and you are dressing 
your preparation, your prayer, your appearance, and your goal should all reflect your desire to please God. You know, Nadab would have been the next high priest in line, being Aaron's eldest son. They had already been consecrated as priests, set apart for the sacred purpose and charged with the precise requirements of that office. Each vessel in the tabernacle was made to specific standards and sanctified by elaborate details and measures, all prescribed by law, by God. And we read about Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, he did. There was no ambiguity about these commands. He did everything, Moses, everything as the Lord had commanded him. Nadab and Abihu, they could not plead ignorance as an excuse for what they did. They, violate, they violated the holy ordinance of God. It was no accident. In fact, the two must have colluded and conspired to do it together. How could they do that? They have seen this God. They have witnessed his majesty. They have seen who he is. But this God cannot be mocked. Unauthorized fire has no place in worship. Unauthorized sin in the sense that it was not approved by God. They brought it deliberately to see what would happen if they did that. And what happened they could not even widely imagine. And if they did, I'm sure they would not have done it. Some of us would think at this time that that punishment was a little too much, right? And some of us would call it even unfair. It was way too much. They were young people. They had a whole life ahead of them. A whole life of ministry. God were you unfair? Why were you? I'm sure some of you might be thinking like that. Our God is never unfair. God's justice is perfect. He's never unfair or tyrannical. It is impossible for God to be unfair and holy because justice and holiness go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. These two gentlemen were in blatant defiance of the command of God. Aaron, their father, was most likely extremely disturbed at what happened. Probably even angry. Then the Lord speaks to Moses and then Moses to Aaron. In verse 3, 
by those who come near me by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy and before all the people i must be glorified it was not a request from god to glorify him it was not a suggestion from uh, from god to honor him but it was a command that god must be glorified a command no man dare no man dare to ignore aaron kept his peace after that not a single word in protest not only that god did not even allow the assembly of israel to mourn for these two young guys you read through that their cousins were asked drag them out of the tabernacle then and then out of the camp there was a deliberate violation of the revealed will of god and what happened was god's blessing justice in action you know built into our own thinking and our concept of justice is the idea that the punishment must fit the crime abraham the patriarch of faith he wrestled with this idea and in genesis 18 we see that abraham was haggling with the lord when the lord was on a mission to go to sodom and gomorrah and destroy those cities we read about that in genesis 18 23 and 25 he is negotiating with god about god's desire to destroy sodom and gomorrah he is asking would not the judge of all the earth do right abraham assumed to kill the righteous along with the wicked was far more righteous was far from the righteousness of god for god to do that he would have to be unjust that was abraham's argument he would have to be unholy because holiness and righteousness of god are going hand in hand the judge of the heaven and earth did the right thing no innocent person was destroyed in that god's justice is never divorced from his holiness his justice is perfect i know i could i could give you more examples but i don't have the time now I want to give you a different scenario. There are myriads of times in my life and your life when God does not treat his creation with blunt justice like what we saw just now. He does not kill everyone who commits sin like he killed Nadab and Abihu. that is where we see 
the mercy and the grace of God. Mercy and the grace of the sovereign God. God has not changed. Our God is immutable. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. From eternity to eternity, our God is the same. He has not changed. The Old Testament God is the same God in the New Testament. You have to remember that. From the beginning of time and before the beginning of times, from the eternity past, our God was full of justice, righteousness, mercy, grace in his holiness. What is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is that attribute of God where God decides not to give you the punishment that you deserve. God does not treat you according to the punishment that you must get. That is mercy. What is grace? Grace is one step further. Grace is one step further. Grace is where he not only does not give you what you deserve, he showers upon you the blessings that you don't deserve. Hallelujah. Mercy and it is the mercy of God that prevents us from being consumed by his wrath every time we sin. Mercy of the sovereign God. You have, you must remember our God is sovereign and if he decides to execute justice right now, there's nobody in this sanctuary that could question him. No one. If he does not use that, it's out of his sovereign mercy. Lamentations 3, 22, through, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. We sing it all the time. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. In Old Testament, there are at least 30 violations where death penalty was instructed. While that's a long list, it's by no means a complete list of the sins that humans can do. Even in the Old Testament, God's mercy was so clear. I want to take you to the Garden of Eden. Hallelujah. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sins shall and in creation, every sin was 
a capital punishment a capital offense every sin why do i say that the penalty for sin was so clear when god commanded adam and eve in the garden of eden genesis 2:16 and 17 it goes like this and the lord commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for listen to me carefully this is from the bible this is what god said for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die there's no ambiguity about that statement god of the universe god of creation told them on that day you will die that day the very same day instantly as swiftly as nadab and abihu were taken out it was not that some day you will die it was not even that a dying process will start the day you eat that is not what god said the day you eat you will die it's not debate about that and some argue that what god meant was a spiritual death and not physical death you know sometimes you know we try to help god by our theological interpretations yeah that's actually strange fire spiritual death was definitely included definitely included but physical death too then why didn't they die what really happened in the garden of eden when adam and eve ate of the fruit why did they not die did god forget what he said did he keep a blind eye towards his own creatures sins where the rule was the day you eat you shall die why did they not die satan the father of all lies and deception told them that they will not die right when satan came to them when the serpent came to them you shall not die was god really doing what satan told them it appears that way because satan told them you will not die and they did not die but god was not doing what satan had suggested to them you want to know why in fact satan himself had experienced the blazing justice of god in his life when he rebelled he saw it coming to him instantly and he knew that if god said he will die you will die so he lied to our first parents 
So he lied to her husbands, knowing that they will die. The father of lies, the father of all deceptions, lied to them, saying that you will not die. So you hid it. And he waited in the bushes to see what will happen to them. They, he wanted them to die as soon as they ate of it. You know what happened. By their death, he knew that his arch enemy God would lose all hopes of having his image bearers continue in life. They were special creation. They were created in the image of God to live and to prosper and to rule over with authority and to reproduce and take over this world. And by their death, Satan knew that God's purpose will be destroyed right there in the beginning. What would have happened if they died? If they died, they would have died in their sin. If they died instantly, when I thought of that, my, my, skin started showing goosebumps. If the old serpent had deceived them enough and they ate and if they had died in the garden of Eden. Hallelujah. They, Adam and Eve would have died in their sin and any chance of redemption would not have happened. Hallelujah. Satan knew that they would die immediately. But Satan did not know something. You know what it was? Something he has never seen before. From the beginning of creation, the beginning of creation of Satan, he has not seen what he saw that day in the Garden of Eden. He was watching. They were, they took the fruit, Eve ate, Adam ate, nothing happened. Nothing happened. They did not die. He was waiting and waiting, waiting. Nothing happened. Then as usual, he hears the footsteps of the Lord coming to them. It says, as it was his practice, God came down that evening also looking for his creation, Adam. You know what? Satan never saw the mercy of God ever in his life. Satan has never experienced the mercy of God 
he has never even thought of an attribute of god called the mercy of god a grace of god that's why he's written before the foundations of the world the lamb of god was slain the lamb of god was slain before adam he had sinned the mercy was already extended to adam and eve it was not an afterthought of god when adam ate he did not think oh oh, oh i'm sorry my creation they ate let me do something no no what satan witness in the garden of eden was the first explicit demonstration of the mercy of god instead of the just punishment that was due to them god extended his mercy and his grace a lamb was slain in the garden right and adam and eve were redeemed and reconciled with god you know you see the holiness of god the justice of god the mercy of god and the grace of god all meeting together in the garden of eden yes sure the physical death was delayed but it was not denied so that penalty was imposed on adam and eve and because of the adamic nature in you and i we all pass through the experience of death our dear kunyuti angle he was in this world last year last week this time and now he's He has gone through the experience of death and now he is rejoicing with his Lord. God spared the experience of death, immediate death to the, to the, to the first parents. That you know what he did? He led them out of the garden. after the lamb was slain and after they were clothed he led them out of the garden and placed cherubim you will read about it in genesis 3 with a flaming sword to guard the gate of the garden the lost paradise to mankind was only regained when the son of god the perfect lamb of god one day entered through that gate and subjected himself to be slain by those flaming swords and he opened the door the gate the way back to the garden for us to paradise for and he said i am the way that's what he meant 
the way back to paradise the way that humanity was blocked from approaching and the only way you and i can approach the throne of grace romans 5:12 just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned and we are all waiting in that death throne but this waiting time is our grace time where god has opened us an opportunity to accept his plan of redemption for us the sinless lamb of god was sacrificed on the cross of calvary and by his vicarious and propitiatory deaths we have been redeemed by believing on him we become the sons of god you know even the slightest of sins is a defiance against the will of god in that regard it carries death penalty before the holy god if god is so great just and if god is so holy why is it that you and i don't die because of the forbearing long suffering patient nature of god hallelujah psalm 103:8 we all know that verse our god is slow to anger and abounding in love exodus 34:6 the lord god merciful and gracious long suffering and abounding in love remember his forbearance is not for us to continue in a lifestyle of sin yes our god is forbearing he is long suffering but it is not to give us a license to continue in a licentious manner in the sinful lifestyle that we are used to live one day our long leash will become very short we should never test god's patience the story of the israelites is a prime example god chose them as his own people to be holy holy in two ways holy as a separate people and holy as a righteous people also with a pure heart so he gave them his commandments his laws his prophets but when they kept on sinning and sinning their sins brought them down first corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 11 you go and read it whatever we do god wants us to take him very seriously and our ultimate purpose 
should be his glory. Whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. So then what is strange fire? It is anything and everything you bring to God that is not approved by him. Anything and everything that you bring to God that he has not approved. If our message of salvation does not contain the message of cross, it is strange fire. If your leadership is without anointing, it is strange fire. If your worship is without revering God, it is strange fire. If you're teaching the word without your, your own conviction, it is strange fire. If your preaching is without love, it is strange fire. If your prayer is without repentance, it is strange fire. If spiritual gifts without spiritual fruit is strange fire. Revival without transformation in your life is strange fire. Any service in the name of God you put out on the pedestal to glorify yourself is strange fire. You are giving to the works of God, but to glorify you, to lift yourself up, strange fire. Your participation in the Lord's table without reconciling with God and your brother is strange fire. God will judge you on that. And the strange fire will be destroyed by God's holy fire. Brothers and sisters, there is no conflict between the God of Old Testament and the God of New Testament. This is the same God from eternity to eternity. He does not change his attribute. Grace was not something he invented after the cross or after person Adam had sinned. Our God was gracious from the beginning. Our God, but he is sovereign. You cannot bargain about the sovereignty of God. You can never bargain for grace. You can never bargain for mercy. Because every time you sin, you put yourself in line for the justice of God. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 and 29 serve God acceptably with reverence and whole and ungodly fear for our God is a consuming fire. New Testament God. Also in Hebrews 10 31 it says 
it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. This God has not changed his nature. He never will. He's immutable. He's eternal. Same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's not a powerless God. But what you and I are experiencing mostly every day is his mercy and his grace. Not to be bargaining for, but in his sovereignty, he extends to us because the Lamb of God was already slain on the cross for you and I. Hallelujah. But we should be people who should never, who will never test his forbearance. Never ask God to be fair to you. Never pray for God to be fair to you. Because if you ask for fairness, you deserve justice. We are all sinners. Every day we sin. We sin through our mind. We sin through our hand. We sin through our lips. We sin through our actions. Never ask for fairness. This will be too much for us to bear. Hallelujah. There is nothing called hyper grace. I'm going to close. There is nothing called hyper grace. That's the wrong theology. You know what is hyper grace theology? Hyper grace theology is where you are asked to bring about the grace of God abound in you as you continue to live in a life of sin. The more you sin, the more the grace abounds. No. Yes, God's grace is real. But God is giving us this opportunity for us to reconcile with him. Once and for all and every day after that. Hallelujah. be taken seriously. It is no entertainment. We should take it. Serious because we are approaching the holy God. Hallelujah. As I conclude, I want you to reflect who is the God that you worship? What is his nature? What is his attribute? Is he a holy God? Or is he your buddy? We have this buddy attitude towards our God. Does your children know that your God is a fearsome God, a God to be revered, a God to be adored? Does your children know that you take God seriously? Does your children know your preference and your priorities in life about God. Do your children, do they know that you regard this God seriously? Hallelujah.
Abraham did. Isaac saw that in his life. Isaac did. Jacob saw that in his life. Can you and I say that I, go, I take my God seriously? This God is a serious God. I must make every adjustment in my life, every sacrifice in my life, everything possible in my life to glorify him. To lift him up in my life. That, let that be our life goal. Take, take that as your life goal. You and I don't know how many days, how many hours are left ahead of us, do we? But can we make a serious pledge before God this morning? Lord, I took you for granted all my years. This morning, this afternoon, I want to commit myself into you, acknowledging you as serious. You will take priority in my life, Lord. You will be my everything, Lord. You will be my all. I will have my children see your presence in my life through the choices I make, through the decisions I make, through the words I speak, through the way I conduct myself. They will know that I am serious with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.